not thinking of good or bad. The sixth ancestral master was chased by Ming all the way to Mount Dayu. The ancestor saw Ming coming, so he placed the robe and bowl down on a rock and said, this robe symbolizes entrustment of the Dharma. How can it be taken away by force? Take it if you want it. Ming tried to pick it up, but it was as immovable as a mountain. Ming hesitated and became frightened. He retorted, I came for the Dharma, not the robe. Please teach me postulant. The ancestor said, not thinking of good, not thinking of bad, at just this moment, what is your original face? At this, Ming was greatly awakened. His whole body was dripping with sweat. In tears, he bowed in reverence and asked, is there any other significance beyond this secret teaching and meaning? The ancestor said, what I have just told you is not a secret. If you turn the light around and illuminate your original face, what is secret is right there. Ming said, though I fold along in the congregation of Huang Mei, I've never had insight into myself. Today, I received your instructions and had an opening. Like a person drinking water who knows for himself whether it is cold or warm, I shall regard you as my teacher postulant. The sixth ancestral master said, if this is so, then both you and I take Huang Mei as our teacher. Let us protect and uphold this teaching. I find that in moments like this or in ceremonies like this, it's easy for me to lose track of uh, what brought me here and why I practice. And I can get disconnected from that very deep and sincere and honest inspiration I can become very head-centered. And so both for myself and also for you, I would encourage you to take a moment and remember what is it that, that brought you to practice and what is it that has kept you through sashin and ordination and decades of practice or why you decided to log on to Zoom this morning as opposed to any of the other millions of things that you could have done. And for a moment in silence, just reconnect with that and refamiliarize yourself with that, that within you that is so compelling. And this koan picks up right in the middle of things. And so I think it would be helpful, especially for folks who may be not familiar with Huinang's story, to offer a little bit of a context of what led him to be fleeing from Ming and what led Ming to chase him all the way to Mount Dayu. So this takes place in 
early mid 700s China, Ming's father was a member of the previous dynasty, the Sui dynasty, I believe. And at the end of that dynasty, he was exiled and sent basically as far as you could be sent uh, to the south, where he met supposedly um, a non Han mountain, one of the mountain people, and married her and had uh, Hui Nung. But then a few years after Hui Nung's birth, he died and left what was already an impoverished family even more impoverished. And so Hui Nung grew up without knowing how to read and without really having any other skill besides gathering wood and selling it. And on one of those trips to a store, he met or he overheard someone chanting a line from the Diamond Sutra. And he was so stirred by that that he asked the person who turned out to have been a monk um, who had studied with the fifth ancestor, where did you hear this teaching? And so he told Hui Nung about the fifth ancestor and encouraged him to go there if he wanted to study more of the Diamond Sutra. And fortunately, Hui Nung had a benefactor who covered his expenses of taking care of his mother. And so he was able to go the, I think, thousand miles or more trip to northern China to practice there. And when he arrived, he had never meditated. He had never, um, he grew up in a Buddhist context, but he wasn't at all officially part of the Buddhist Sangha. And the fifth ancestor questioned him and interrogated him to see who is this person who's, who's coming from the south. And the word that we use a lot is, or that you hear a lot in reference to Huinang is he calls him a barbarian. But actually the more appropriate, the actual word that he uses is jungle rat. So there's a racial epithet there. It's not just that he's a barbarian, he's insulting him right out the gate to see what is it that this, this person is being drawn to practice. And he essentially says, people come from the north and south, but Buddha nature is always present. And so when the Hong Ren, the fifth um, ancestor, could clearly see that there was a deep understanding there and not wanting the other monks to get jealous and realizing that Hui Nung was kind of right on the edge of an opening, sent him to the rice mill, where for eight months, he basically just milled rice and practiced and uh, practiced in that way. And he never ordained, he never really set foot in the monks in the meditation hall. And towards the end of that period, there was a contest to see who would become the next ancestor, who would take over for the fifth ancestor. There was a poem, Hui Nung submitted his poem, condensing this significantly. He was picked as the successor, but because, again, he was from the South, and because he had not even ordained and he'd been there for such a short period of time, the fifth ancestor said, we need you to leave, you need to take the bowl and robe, and you need to head out in the middle of the night before the other monks find out about this and potentially hurt you. So he ferries him across the river and sets him on his way. And then the fifth ancestor basically goes into seclusion for three days and doesn't teach, and is giving Huinang basically a three-day head start. And then he finally reveals who is it that was given the bowl and robe and given transmission, and of the assembly of between 1,000 and 1,500 monks, hundreds of them apparently go chasing after Huinang. And among that was Ming, 
who was an ex-general of pretty high acclaim. He was, he was almost as accomplished as one could be accomplished in the military. And for two months, he pursued Hui Nung and hundreds of other people pursued as well, but they all dropped off. And eventually it was just Ming who caught up to Hui Nung on the, the pass, right on the peak of Mount Dayu. And this is where the, the koan picks up. And so it's easy to, to read these things just, it's easy for me to read these as just very literal stories. And I find that it's helpful in my, my mind that can so easily grab onto details like this and just get obsessed about the minutia of it to try to distill it down into um, archetypal or fundamental essences. And so we can think about this as the, um, the quality of pursuit. So Ming can be seen very clearly as the, the, the total embodiment of achievement, of grasping, of getting, getting what you want by means of taking it. It'd be hard to find a, a better uh, form of that than a, a general. So pursuit, striving, uh, grasping, chases after, awakening. We can think of Huinang as kind of a distilled version of awakening for two months and finally catches up to it and was within arm's reach of it. And it's not insignificant that it's a two-month struggle. And it's not insignificant that that's included in the koan. Um, as I'm sure we have all experienced, and as I experience with every single session that I do, that initial effort is of supreme importance. That I can't really reel in all of the tendrils of my mind and become settled into myself unless I exert a fair amount of effort for a sustained period of time. But there's a moment when that, that effort and that pursuit gets in the way or the usefulness of it falls away like a ladder that you climb or a tool that you use, when you're done using it, it's time to put it down. And it becomes a hindrance. So when Huinang encourages them to try to pick up the robe, all of that effort, which up until this point has done nothing but lead to success, is finally unable to even pick up something as light as a bowl and a robe. And I think it's important that in all the translations that I've read, it's very explicitly placed on a rock. And in reading all of these translations, there's a lot of wiggle that goes between words that are used and um, the way that the story is told. But it's really significant that in connecting it to that mountain, there is... Um, a sense that is hard for me to put into words, but I feel a deep connection to that when I imagine myself as the robes and bowl being, being placed onto the rock, there is a, a fusing with the earth. 
And in the same way that during retreat or at times in our life when what we want most is um, so close to us that no amount of effort is able to, to pull it in because it's not something that's outside of us. It's not something that's outside of me. It's And so the result is that for the first time in his life, he's completely stymied by something that's completely inconsequential, seemingly, from a physical, from a physical perspective. And he's completely taken aback. He becomes frightened. And I've had many moments like this in my life, and I'm, again, I'm sure that this is not an unfamiliar experience to all of you. But there are times when the old way of being has become so obsolete or is so thoroughly met by a force that is um, completely outside of it that for a moment all of that persona and that personality around striving, around getting falls away and what's left is that honest intention to awaken. And we hear these stories of exertion or of engagement in many of the koans and many of the stories that we, we hear in our tradition. So whenever we hear stories about uh, sweeping and a pebble hitting a bucket and that being the cause of awakening, that is the, the kind of period on the sentence of years, or in Huinang's case, uh, in all cases, but this is a particularly good example of that, many lifetimes of diligent practice that is finally coming to fruition with just a small push um, in this lifetime. Byron Katie talks about how her awakening experience came after basically being completely completely overwhelmed and paralyzed by, by depression and by sadness. And in my own experience, um, moments of my life of being completely overwhelmed by grief or exhaustion can lead to that personality dropping away. And when that window opens up, there is a potential for a very small needle to, to burst that bubble. And so that, that failing to pick up the robe, that inability to grab uh, transmission, to grab understanding, allows then Huinang to, to pierce that very thin hide by asking a question that's completely unexpected and one that is um, rationally disorienting. Yes, I came for the Dharma, not the robe. In that moment, I can sense this, this feeling of, of a complete personality shift. From a moment before, he's trying to um, maybe even kill Huinang. He's now asking a person that's not even an ordained person to, uh, to teach him. And that complete, that complete reversal comes about as a result of the previous two months and lifetimes of practice.
And there's many different ways that we can reframe that question of what is your original face. And one that Hogan Roshi gave me that's been very helpful to get traction on is what is always present. And that's a question that I've been carrying for, for months now, and I think in many ways my 20 years or more lifetimes. Because we're not trying to find some special state of bliss or of joy or some conditional setting that's going to lead to um, my satisfaction or my awakening or my uh, completion. There is that desire to connect with and to act from a source that is beyond thought and that does not go away, as the poem says, um, when we die or when uh, the worst case scenario happens or whatever else may, may come, that um, infinite foundation or um, always present source is not, um, is not something, not a thing, but is a, a direction of attention and a source of, of action And the way that he encourages Ming to, to witness that is through a very simple direct pointing to really look very clearly at what is always present. And that, and that completely transforms Ming for about one second. And then instantly he says, his body dripping in sweat and in tears, he bows in reverence and asks, is there any other significance beyond the secret teaching and meaning? There's that, that moment of awakening, or as Byron Katie says, there's, there's no enlightened people, there are only enlightened moments. And so instantly doubt comes in around, is this it? Is this all that there is? Is this the, the great magical awakening, Buddhahood? Um, and again, the way that, that Huynang directs him back is through directly looking back. It's very simple. Just return, keep looking back, turn the light to shine within, and then just return, which we say so often. It's not some complicated manual. You're not trying to fix an Italian sports car. You're just looking back and falling back into the arms of... Um, deep love that is unconditional. And that's a very simple turn. But in my own experience, it has taken me, and it will probably continue to take me many years to be familiar enough and trust that, to trust that enough that I don't listen to and believe all of the doubtful thoughts that I have that lead me away and have led me away over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. 
like some great gale of wind that blows up and catches my sails and drags me away. And that just takes time and it takes cutting in new habits and releasing old karma that if I believe my thoughts, which I have done for my entire life, and that was the only source of confidence and as a way to navigate through the world was what could I think of and what made sense, then that is a bumpy roller coaster ride of a life and one that um, I very easily sell the, the priceless gift of my life for cheap and painful beliefs. Because I think that that is what is going to keep me safe. Fundamentally, that's the, the belief there, that in order to keep this thing that I can't find safe, I need to act in certain ways and um, make sense out of the world in other ways. And all of that suffering that comes along with it is entirely self-centered. I was telling Chosen in the hallway that all of my nervousness, I was looking at the underlying cause of all that nervousness in the hallway of um, my heart beating and sweating. And all of it was just about Shokan. I wasn't in there deeply cut up and worried about how everyone in here was doing because I felt like everyone here was probably doing okay. Um, and actually, I wasn't really thinking about you all at all, to be honest. Um, and when I turned that, those, those self-centered thoughts into uh, just that mantra of the hope to benefit everyone that's listening to this, it's a very interesting turn to sit down and, and to feel like I, I am not the one giving the talk, but we are all giving this talk together or we are all doing this together. This is an activity or a ceremony or an event that is done as a group. And that lessens immensely the burden of, of um, shouldering my suffering by myself. And yet doubt comes up again and again and again and again. But that what gives me hope and that what Huenang says in a moment is that through that continual returning by picking it up and placing it back into the source, we develop that trust and what I found is that it's like a, a scale that slowly starts to tip, like these two sides of the scale where for the entirety of my life, one side has been completely, all the weight has been put on that. And now slowly, moment after moment, day after day, year after year, has been placing little bits of the grains over to the other side. And now more and more, less effort is required to tip that scale in the other direction. And that's both an immensely um, hope-instilling observation for me, 
and a um, a clear path, a clear path in the direction of how to head. Of just when I find myself doubting or when I find myself lost in thought, it's a very simple thing to do. It's not very complicated. It doesn't necessarily require a lot of effort. And the more that I do it, the easier it becomes. And it's been recently in working with this koan that that faith in the left as opposed to the right has really started to slowly equal out and slowly start to turn over in the opposite direction. And this is Huinang's admonishment to protect and uphold this teaching. In another translation, he says, um, maintain your realization carefully. And then what is not included in the koan is that basically immediately after that, both Huinang and Ming go into solitary retreat for a number of years and continue to practice and continue to refine and continue to walk that path back and forth and back and forth and back and forth until it's not full of brambles, until it's just the occasional blackberry branch that comes out and catches you. And until it's, it's so clear that it, it's a, an, effortless, an effortless transition that happens of itself. I was remarking to Hogan the observation that um, we talk about practice as this thing that we do, that when we notice that our mind is locked on to thoughts about the past or the future, but then we pick it up and move it somewhere else. But that moment of noticing seems to me to be the biggest, the biggest and most important part of that equation. And I am still learning and I'm still very curious about how that moment occurs because as far as I can tell, it seems like that is a moment that is completely beyond Shokan and beyond my practice. And that it's easy too to fall into old habits and old patterns. And if it's not something that you're in a container or in a community that uh, constantly encourages you to, to turn your mind in that way, old habits come in really, really easily. Centuries, millennia, kalpas of old habits that bring the mind in other directions come in and are constantly assailing us. And so he encourages Ming to see himself as peers and as the fifth ancestor, as their teacher still. And though it stuck with me in, in rereading the, the poem this morning was, even if the world extinguishes, it cannot be destroyed. And reminded of, I think from the Fusatsu chant that we do, we say that the, the Sangha is the one body which does not disappear. Is that correct? Yeah. And so it ends on this note of, of Sangha, of peership, of spiritual friendship. At the beginning, what was an enemy probably 20 seconds before is now not only um, a friend, but a very deep spiritual companion. And so from the perspective of Huinang, when I carry that perspective, it is helpful to see the things that chase me down and that could be seen from a normal perspective as an enemy, as instead um, a potential 
spiritual friend, as a potential teacher. Or from the perspective of Ming, this thing that I think is taking away or doing harm to me or is my enemy is again the same way my teacher.